Hi, I'm Perry, and this is episode 192 of The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. I'm your host, cosmetic chemist Perry Romanowski, and with me today is my co-host, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Valerie, we got a great show today. We're going to do an extra question. So on today's episode, we're going to be answering your beauty questions about whether oxygen facials work and how that works. We're also going to talk about how plant-based hair colors work, whether light can degrade a shampoo's effectiveness, whether you can substitute body wash for hand soap, and we've got a little segment on kitchen chemistry and small batches. But first, let's say hello to Valerie. What's going on, Valerie? Oh, just getting ready for the work week. Sunday always gives me a little bit of stress thinking about all the things I need to do to get ready for the week. So I don't usually find weekends relaxing. Well, we had a fabulous weekend here in Chicago. But, you know, there was a strange thing that happened to me, and this is only vaguely related to beauty products, but it was, it was so odd. I thought I would share. So I go to the grocery store. I had to pick up some brownie mix or something like that. And so I'm checking out and there's a lady in front of me and she turns to me and <laughs> she reaches into her shirt and pulls out a puppy and says, hey, do you want this puppy? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, what'd you say? It was a very cute puppy. It was maybe a month old or something. I scratched it on the head. I go, I would love a puppy, but my wife's allergic, so we didn't get it. And so she just took the puppy and and then put it back in her bra and left. Well, now what would you have said if it were a cat? I know you love I cats. I do. Well, right? my wife's my wife's allergic to cats too, so that's this is why I don't oh, okay. have it. Yeah. So, but. So that's the kind of thing you see in the city, like <laughs> the puppy in the bra. I've, I've never really seen yeah. that. Well, I hope the puppy found a good home. I guess we'll never know because we'll never see that lady uh, again. Well, unless I go back to the grocery store. <laughs> All right. We got a big show. Let's uh, get started with a little beauty news. Here's a story that caught my eye, Valerie. It's... <laughs> And I can't really believe this is a trend now, but it turns out that not showering is becoming a trend. I first heard of this. It was a question on the NPR game show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. But they referenced the story where, uh, and it made me go look it up, but it was where uh, they interviewed people who just stopped showering. Well, I feel like trend is a loose term here because I can't imagine that many people would stop showering, but go on. Well, I think it's the same way that co-washing, not washing your hair or using conditioner to wash your hair is kind of a trend too. Yeah. There was an article in The Atlantic and a guy experimented with not showering for 30 days. And this kind of ties into this notion of the microbiome. And if you don't use detergents and things on your body, your natural microbes will eventually equilibrate and then you don't really need to shower maybe you spot wash in places the benefits are supposed to be that you have less exposure to the chemicals of modern day beauty products 
and uh, and something else. I don't, I don't get it. But they assure them that eventually, not not right away. Right away, you smell. But eventually, if you don't shower for long enough, you don't smell anymore. Uh, that, then the idea is that it's going to leave your skin in better condition and be more moisturized. And and then, of course, you're going to save time by not taking any of those showers. Well, I'd, I'd like to try to wrap my head around this because I, I'm a little perplexed. And by the way, I have seen lots of up-close photography uh-huh. and smelled the scalps of people who don't shower or wash their hair. And it is not pretty. So I can't really understand a lot of the benefits here. But let's go back. Instead of asking ourselves, why are these people not showering? Let's start with, why do people shower? People long ago used to shower less than we shower now. I don't think people were showering every day and you know, in the 1900s, early 1900s, that is. Uh, but I think some of showering every day is part of the marketing effort of the beauty industry to convince people that they need to shower every day. Probably so. I think especially it, it maybe isn't necessary if people are not doing a lot of the hard labor that had to be done way, way back when. I think people are showering more also because it feels really good to be clean, I do have to admit. And I with agree. plumbing and water being so accessible, like why not shower? Whereas I feel like a long time ago, the accessibility was way, way less. Right. And they didn't really have, I mean, there was soap, but there wasn't detergents. And soap, I don't, I don't care what people say. I don't like the feeling of soap on my skin. It just dries it out very much. Yeah. It leaves that little scummy layer. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how this catches on and you, I, I just, I don't want to think, I'm like trying to think, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. One time a gentleman at work, uh, hurt himself and he couldn't shower for a week. Yeah. And he just happened to have an extremely pungent natural body odor. And not like BO, like, sure. oh, we're deodorant. Just like your skin produces oils and they just emanate and you have natural. And the bacteria eats those oils yeah, and produces yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's it's very good. Yeah. That's and the natural so biome, right? By the end of the week, we were like, we have to leave the lab. It was really bad. So well, if he would have just done it for four more weeks, maybe that would have changed. <laughs> it would have evened out after he lost his job because you know, I'm just kidding. He wouldn't have lost his job, but right. Yeah, yikes. Well, I, I don't. I think there's no uh, health reason that you necessarily have to shower every day. I think if you didn't do that. Um, it's not like you're going to get disease. I mean, as long as you're washing your hands, that sh- you should be all right. But uh, just from a, you know, you've got to be around people. And, uh, I, I, you know, so, yeah. some days I'll skip showering because I don't, I don't work with anybody. I'm just home. And then when my wife gets home, she's like, you should shower, dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily advocate showering daily uh, unless you really need it. But you got to shower sometimes. So the people who... Stop showering. Ugh. You, you got to shower sometimes. Yeah. Well, look for uh, a non-showering trend near you. <laughs> well, let's play a little game with some kitchen chemistry. Oh, kitchen chemistry. What do we got here? Yeah. So, so instead of just going to a couple of bizarro things we heard about, I, I want to gauge your reaction 
and just kind of see what you think about some of these real DIY kitchen chemist recommendations that I ran across. All right. This uh, sounds so. So you uh, what scoured YouTube looking for DIY uh, kitchen? Yeah. Content? Well, Instagram, YouTube. Oh, sure. okay. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really interesting because uh, pretty much I found a lot of things I would never recommend. Um, you know, if you want to mash up an avocado and put it on your face, that's fine. Yeah. But there are so many things where I'm like, what are you doing? And the first one is ditch your regular powder foundation and mix together cocoa powder and turmeric for eyeshadow <laughs> or cornstarch, nutmeg, ginger, and sage as a foundation. And then you can lick yourself later. I'm just kidding. That wasn't part of the DIY, but. Uh, well, no, um, I, the, the foundation one, I mean, I guess if you can get the color and put it on, I, but it seems fine. But the stuff putting around turmeric around your eyes, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. And you mentioned we have bacteria on our skin. Could you imagine, you know, feeding them with some of these little compounds? Mm. Yeah, it just does not seem like a good idea. No, especially if you were to get it in your eyes. And I also am allergic to nutmeg, oh. so I definitely don't recommend that I, one. I think we learned that in episode 166. <laughs> Are you going to the club later? Do you need your lips plumped, but you don't have any limp plumper? Just use Kool-Aid. Oh, Kool-Aid. Oh, <laughs> I think I've, I've, yeah, I think I heard that one before, but how does it, how is it supposed to plump your lips? Well, they don't really say that. They just say to do it. Uh, just, But just the powder, not like the mix into water and drink it? <laughs> Is that, no? no, you actually make a little concoction with it and then smear that on your lips. So it wasn't a very thorough, uh, as most of these are not very thorough DIY tutorial. Additionally, if you need your lips plumped, a second video I saw was to go to the store and get the purest wasabi you can find. And to leave that on your lips for one minute. Well, that certainly would irritate your lips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the next one really wasn't a, a kitchen hack unless you keep your contact lens solution in your kitchen. Uh-oh. You know, when you go to use a mascara and you take the wand out and it's dried out, my typical reaction is, you know, this is probably expired. And seeing that it's near my eye, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it away. That's a good idea. Good practice. Nope. <laughs> Pour some contact lens solution into the mascara, oh shake, and then swipe away on your eyelashes. Oh my! Uh, that's, that's I wouldn't recommend that. That's yeah, it's scary. I mean, the stuff around your eyes. Come on, people. Yeah, and then um, Michelle Phan allegedly rubs strawberries on her teeth to whiten them. Uh, what's the notion of? I mean, how is that going to whiten your teeth? I think it's just eating away at the enamel. Oh. To be honest, I couldn't think of anything. I, I know they say strawberries are high in vitamin C, but I, I really couldn't think of anything. Um, but I don't recommend that unless you don't mind your enamel going away after some time. And I'm sure she has enough money she can go to the dentist and just have that whitening done herself. Yeah, or get a really good toothpaste. Exactly. Uh, I saw people using bar soap to style their eyebrow hair. Uh, okay, I hope it doesn't get wet and get into your eyes yeah that's a good one i didn't even think of that i was just like ew <laughs> stiff eyebrow i don't have a lot of eyebrow hair anyway but i couldn't imagine doing that if you feel like your pores are enlarged 
you can fill a huge bowl with water, throw a bunch of ice cubes in it, and then sink your face and do it for eight to ten seconds. <laughs> yes. Well, it's fun to do on a hot day in the summer anyway. <laughs> yeah, I guess instead of bobbing for apples, you could just submerge your face in. Just to be cl- just to be clear, that's not going to shrink your pores. No, no, it is not. Sugar, water, and lemon juice, throw it in a pot, make a reduction to where it gets to a syrupy point. Let it cool down, at least the tutorial featured that. Is this ma- is this how you make rock candy? What, what are they making here? Yeah. It's also how you could wax your legs at home. You smear the sugar, water, and lemon juice okay. over your own hair, mm-hmm. and then tug all of the hairs out as you peel it off. Oh, it's, it's, so it sounds almost like you're making honey. <laughs> that works the same way with honey? That uh, just it doesn't yeah. sound... Yeah. No, and the next tutorial was actually how to make an anti-irritating cream for okay. your legs oh, because yeah. you got them irritated from all this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for and like, sure. It's just quicker to shave your legs, but I, I guess if you if you were out of a razor, and then um, tea bags to depuff your eyes. I'm yeah. sure you've heard that oh, a million yeah, times. I, I've heard I that. wanted to bring that one up though because I'll, I'll tell you a story. They're never very specific about what kind of tea bags you should use, and so one time. I I had a couple tea bags. I worked at a coffee shop. We were going to throw them away. And I was like, you know what? Let me go home and do this DIY exercise. I looked like I got punched in the eyes. <laughs> I had huge Oops. black under eye circles. Yeah. I like, did the exact opposite. And I'm like, what kind of tea bags are in these DIY series? Uh, so I don't recommend that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, especially if it's a, a flavored tea. And then the last one, I actually saw a whole video series, and, and I want to bring this one up because I am a recovering soda addict. I no longer drink it, but oh. I, I miss it very dearly. They featured all these beauty hacks fe- using Coca-Cola. Really? So they <laughs> take advantage of what the acidic nature of this stuff? Maybe, yeah. I don't know if it works with Diet Coke. Uh, I, I know you prefer the diet, but... You can use Coca-Cola to bleach your hair. They showed a very compelling before and after. Uh, color me skeptical on that. Yeah. Have an insect insect bite. Forget the calamine lotion. Just pour some Coca-Cola down your arm. <laughs> okay. And if you've got chewing gum in your hair, wash your hair with Coca-Cola. Actually, they soaked it in it in the video and the chewing gum falls right out. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. I prefer to drink it. Yeah. I don't know if I would I would do any of that. But anyway, I just thought those were in- interesting kitchen hacks that no one should ever do. Why do you think people are find kitchen hacks appealing? Well, uh, it seems really appealing that you can just go to your kitchen and hey you can eat this stuff why not put it all over your skin or it seems more pure more natural um safe but at the end of the day i don't think any of these conventions work better than just buying a a real product absolutely and And, using it and i think one of the motivations is it's somehow less expensive but if you're smearing like spices and stuff on your face, that's not cheap. Spices are. I just tried to buy some vanilla. That's expensive. Yes, I'm gonna do a saffron mask and just <laughs> right. spread saffron all over my face. So these things don't work better. They cost more. I I I just don't see the appeal. But uh... and I think they could potentially cause more problems. I was horrified at some of the stuff I saw, and it. 
they didn't necessarily relate to the kitchen, but more like household beauty hacks. Oh, yeah. People yeah. smearing toothpaste on their under eye bags. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, please, people, uh, you know, you can watch the beauty hacks or the kitchen beauty on YouTube for entertainment, but don't do that at home. Shall we get into some beauty questions? Yeah, we have five today. I can't wait. All right. Here is our first one from Rachel. Rachel asks, what is an oxygen facial and do they really work? Well, in short, an oxygen facial is a procedure that's done by estheticians, done by dermatologists, or even plastic surgeons. They're a popular spa treatment. It is a non-invasive skin rejuvenation technique, which involves blowing oxygen onto the surface of skin, typically in conjunction with a serum like hyaluronic acid. In fact, I saw some videos on this, and it essentially looked like uh, someone was just kind of airbrushing the person's face. I've actually had this done before by my esthetician. Unbeknownst to me, you know, she's just there doing stuff, tinkering sure, with sure. things. Of and. Course. I was like, what is that smell? And she said, oh, it's oxygen for your face, and it, it's going to do all these great things for you. And Wow. I was a little skeptical. <laughs> I didn't I didn't notice a difference. But um, anyway, go on. Let's tell everyone um, more about it. Yeah, well, the specific procedure varies, but basically uh, the esthetician will clean your face, then do some exfoliation, maybe do a facial massage or apply some sort of a mask, then they give you the oxygen treatment. And the oxygen treatment essentially is they just blow oxygen uh, from a little wand onto your face. So the reason that is said that people do this is because it's supposed to help rejuvenate the face. It's sort of a vague term, rejuvenate, but uh, you see that as a, a claim made in the cosmetic industry. Other things it's supposed to do is reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles deeply hydrate the skin, reduce hyperpigmentation, and ultimately improve the appearance of the skin. The idea of the oxygen treatment is that your skin cells need oxygen to live, which they do, and if they are oxygen deprived, then they're not going to flourish. Since the outer layers of your skin are dead skin cells, they do the exfoliation procedure to expose the newer skin cells. The only problem is that even after you do that exfoliation, you, you don't exfoliate all the way down to your live skin cells. If you did, you would start bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> right? You just, like, and then you would be getting the vampire facial. <laughs> then you can, Yeah, indeed. We'll have to cover that on a future show. All right. Now, after you get the treatment, of course, people report that, surprise, surprise, their skin looks and feels better. But people claim the same kind of thing after getting pretty much any spa treatment, like a facial exfoliation or facial massage, right? It's sort of a halo effect, and especially after you spent a ton of money on something, you're going to look at your face and you go, yes, of course it looks better, right? Perry, have you ever had a facial? Not the oxygen facial, just any facial. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. I, I really can't recall if i had or not so i'm gonna go with we should we should go get them <laughs> we should do that next time we are in the same town together maybe, maybe. i'm gonna hold you to it <laughs> we, we'll, we'll pass on the oxygen facial right. for a couple good reasons right. coming up right. but anyway well what are those reasons i looked into this and there is no good science supporting the procedure that they do 
A good study would be pretty easy to do too. You just go through the whole process without using the oxygen spray, and then you compare how people's faces look. Or better yet, you could do the whole process, and then instead of using oxygen, you could use something like nitrogen or carbon dioxide or some other inert gas. And I didn't see any studies like that. And of course, no one offering the treatment would benefit from having a study like this done. So I don't expect anyone, you know, to do this kind of research. But as I said, I looked through the literature. There was no, there was no evidence that said this oxygen blowing on your face is going to help uh, improve the look of your face. So the bottom line is, you know, oxygen facials they haven't been proven to provide any benefit that you can't get from the standard moisturization or exfoliation. And at a price between $200 to $500 a treatment, it certainly don't seem worth it to me. Yeah, what's wrong with atmospheric oxygen? Don't we get enough there? I mean, we certainly get enough to live. Doesn't our skin get enough through that? You would think so. There's a challenge that these estheticians or even anybody in the skin beauty area has it's so rare that we get new technology that actually has some sort of real impact. And so when you can come up with a story like this, stories really do help to sell beauty products. And this probably isn't going to hurt you, but it certainly isn't going to help. I did ask uh, my esthetician when she was doing it, what the difference between regular oxygen and the air was and this, and she told me it was ozone. It's even more oxygen. There's three <laughs> instead of two. <laughs> oh, yeah. It seemed pretty good to me, oh, so I just sure. went with yeah, it. No. Yeah, That was plenty of ozone out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next question is an audio question. Let's hit play. Hi, Beauty Brains. I'm a professional hairstylist. And first of all, I want to thank you for all the wonderful information you provide. It can be hard to find accurate scientific information in the beauty industry, and it, it means a lot to me. I have a question about the Biolage by Matrix Aid's new hair color launching this fall. They claim it to be 82 to 100% plant-based with only 2 to 9 ingredients. I was pretty skeptical until I saw a video of them mixing it. It comes in a powdered form, and they mix it with hot water, not developer. It looked exactly like traditional henna, but it comes in up to 20 shades. I was always taught to avoid henna hair color, as any color besides the original copper shades have to be made using compound dyes, which can have bad reactions with bleach or other chemicals used in a salon. They claim this color to be completely free of metallic dyes and to be compatible with bleach. How do you uh, think this is possible? Are they just mixing it with direct dyes or using other plants besides henna to make those colors? Thank you for all your help. All right. Thanks so much for asking this question, Naomi. It's a great question, and you are already on to stuff. This hair color has already launched on the market last year in Europe in the L'Oreal family of brands under the name Bonnea. And since Matrix is a L'Oreal brand, L'Oreal has trickled this technology. I put that in air quotes sure. from the L'Oreal uh, family to Matrix Biolage, which is the natural make brand in the United States. What is this hair color? Essentially, these are powders composed of varying blends of henna, indigo, and cassia that produce natural looking colors. So you're right, it is henna. Oh, they don't require addition of hydrogen peroxide color to develop the color, just hot water to try to solubilize the plant materials into a paste. And since they do not contain ammonia, it's just the plant colorant, 
you won't get any lift of natural pigment from the fiber. So they are deposit only, sheer, and natural toned shades that don't have full coverage. And that's not just me being doubtful or a beauty brains jerk about how that works. Uh, their website says it, and I've actually used the Botanay line before. Yeah. When it launched in Europe, I was able to get some. And so I've actually seen it myself and the deposit actually has to do with a little bit of the chemistry of how the color is used but also the amount of time left on the hair if you remember back in episode 189 we actually addressed the challenges of using henna as our color and then trying to go back to conventional color the length of time on the hair was one of the downsides that we discussed in using henna right that it sticks around too long or it took well, it sticks long. around too long, but you have to wait a bunch of time to get it into the hair. Oh, right, right. A couple right. hours, yeah. I think we mentioned. Exactly. Yeah. I remember when I was experimenting with some hair coloring, and we were we were working on a project to make a shampoo and conditioner line to keep hair color in better. But I was looking at different hair coloring techniques, and one I looked at was using Kool-Aid to stain your color. And it, it actually worked on, like, blonde hair. On brown hair, you couldn't see anything, but... Problem was it was very splotchy, and I think that's the same sort of type of technology. Yeah, that can. Um, I think Kool Aid uses FD&C colorants, and those can also color the hair. Naomi, you are right to ask. Well, if it's not copper in color, doesn't it contain direct dyes and these metallic dyes and metallic salts? And actually, you can have other color with henna type colorants and I'll use that as a big category because the indigo um, offers darkness and blueness and the cassis offers other natural blondish type really just drab like coloring Mm -hmm. so this matrix color does not contain metallic dyes direct dyes etc and it doesn't contain heavy metals and one of the marketing aspects that L'Oreal is advertising, at least with the Bonnet, is that they found a way to purify out the metals from the ingredients, uh, meaning the plant ingredients. Okay. And it's not actually L'Oreal that's done that work. There are a couple new ingredient suppliers that have popped up in the hair color supplier industry that have said they've secured supply chains of these henna plant extracts that are really, really low in heavy metal content. And when you look at the certificate of analysis from these, you can see that they've done a lot of testing and the testing methods have gotten really better at detecting heavy metals over the years. So they can detect lower and lower thresholds. It's pretty cool. It's the reduction of heavy metals that actually help make this color bleach compatible when the henna type color is being removed. And this uh, type of hair color chemistry, henna, indigo, etc., is not compliant in all parts of the world. And you mentioned there's 20 shades. You will get a limited shade palette, and that shade palette will include varying shades of brown. But if you're interested in learning more about henna or how henna works with going back to more conventional modern-day hair color, you can listen to episode 189, which debuted just a few weeks ago, or you can ask me any questions on Instagram with my handle at cosmetic underscore chemist. So it sounds like this technology is, is not necessarily new technology, although it sounds like the purification is a bit new, but the actual, the way the color works is not really new technology and it doesn't work as well as other technologies. So I'm wondering why would L'Oreal uh, launch a product like this? 
Well, I asked myself the same question when they launched it, because in the salon professional world, it is very hard to get people, stylists, to switch to this type of color because you just have to be very good at, at using it. But there are people, it's a very small niche in the salon professional world that really are seeking this type of hair color. It fits the natural scheme with the Matrix Biolage brand. And some people, as we learned from one of our listeners last week, uh, let us know that some people like henna for the cultural ties that they have to it, sure. which is great. So I think it's an extremely, extremely small market. I'm surprised that they would create something so small, and I'll be interested to see if it hangs around for very long or if they discontinue in a handful of years. It's, it's always interesting, and you see these companies experimenting with uh, new positions of t- old technology. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to our third question. So what comes to us from Sam. Sam says, I bought a shampoo, specifically Garnier Ultimate Blends, Honey Treasures Shampoo. <laughs> Love the name. It had suddenly stopped lathering, and the shampoo just sits there doing nothing. So my question is, does light degrade shampoo? It was in a glass jar. I know shampoos come in clear bottles, so I'm not convinced that light is the issue. It, it wasn't out of date either. I'm wondering what could have caused this, and if once the lathering stops, does this impact on the shampoo's ability to clean? It's always nice to get a shampoo question. From the shampoo experts here <laughs> over at the Beauty Brains. <laughs> exactly. Well, what do you make of this, Valerie? Have you ever heard of a shampoo stop working like this? I haven't heard of a shampoo that on its own just said, hey, I'm going to stop working. Usually if my shampoo doesn't lather, it's because my hair is really dirty and I need to do a second cleanse. But I have a theory. Ah, well, that's interesting. But before we get to that theory, let's talk about what can definitely change because of exposure to light. And I, and I know this because one of the things that we do in testing is called stability testing. And so you make a batch of shampoo, you put it up at different temperatures, and you put it at different light conditions, and you use it in a, a jar. So um, light can definitely affect a shampoo fragrance, so it can change the way that it smells, and often to make it smell worse. The other thing that it can definitely change is the color. Depending on what color your shampoo is, uh, usually you lose the blues and it turns yellow or green. But those are definitely things that it can affect. But I've not, I I don't think, I've never never seen it as an example where the light had uh, degraded the detergent. And, you know, I, I... I, I don't think the light would be ex, uh, an explanation for causing the deter- the shampoo not to work anymore. Absolutely not. Here's what I think happened. I'm not sure if this shampoo is sulfate-free or, or not sulfate-free, or let's say it's a blend of both. But I've had shampoos uh, in looking at competitor shampoos, not just shampoos I've made, where they have separated in the bottle Uh and even if you don't realize you're using the first half of the bottle and you're like oh this is great it's fine and then you get to the second half of the bottle and you're like what the hell is this 
solution coming out into my hand and you use it anyway and it just feels like goo on your head. I've actually had that happen to me before. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there was any separation in the first part of Sam using the shampoo if all the surfactants were tied up in that fraction and then in the bottom fraction where your gums, your silicones, your conditioning agents, your other stuff, and there's no detergent, so it's not going to lather. Right. That's ah, that's that's a good idea because it could. I'm I'm looking at the ingredient list for the uh, the Garnier Whole Blends Whole Blends Honey, and they have a uh, you know SLES SLS formula, cocomido or cocomide MEA. So they have a purling agent. It certainly could have separated, and especially if the product was clear. It shouldn't have been clear. This this isn't a clear formula, so I not at all. I could Mm-mm. see this separating, and maybe the the portion that Sam was using uh, no longer had any detergent in it. Yeah, and separation can happen either from the surfactant chassis or thickeners or other ingredients that you put into it, or it could be the age of the product. Maybe it had been sitting for some time on a shelf. You know, these products aren't good forever, so I don't want to say that. There are issues with the product. Um, it could have been stored improperly at a warehouse, lots of things. But that's just one thing I can think of because I was using a shampoo from a competitor brand I won't name. And I liked it at first. And then a couple months later, actually, it was probably a year later, I have to confess, I came back yeah. to it and I used it anyway. And I was like, what the heck is this? And it just happens. Yeah, I could, I could absolutely see that uh, if it's... And it, it it says it wasn't out of date. I mean, for the most part, they don't have. Well, I don't know how the, how Sam would know that unless she was able to read the batch code and do a batch code decoder or and figure out the manufacturing date. Or it was a UK product, maybe. You know, they they date the months that's left after opening, right? After opening, but that doesn't indicate how long it's been on the shelf. That's true. You can really never know. Uh, or it's very difficult to know how old a product actually is. So mm-hmm. I, I think the the two explanations there, either it, it separated and you got the part that didn't have the detergent, which certainly is possible, or your hair was dirty and, uh, you know, it just used multiple washings uh, for it to work again. One other part of the question was, does the lathering uh, impact the shampoo's ability to clean? And I guess it depends on why it's not lathering. Uh, if it's not lathering because you're not using any detergent, then certainly that <laughs> would impact the ability to clean. If it's not lathering because you have dirty hair, um, it still is cleaning your hair. You'll just have to clean your hair a, a few times extra. But no, lathering does not mean the product is not working, although it, it could mean that, I guess. All right, our next question is another audio question. I absolutely love these. Let's give it a listen. Before we do that, incidentally, if you want to have your own audio question, you could send us, just record it on your smartphone, and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com, and you might get your voice on The Beauty Brain Show. Here's the next question. Hi, Beauty Brains. My name is Abigail, and I love the podcast. I really appreciate the time you guys take to, to teach the public about um, beauty science. 
Um, I had a question recently that I couldn't find the answer for on Google, so I wanted to ask you guys. I have a family member who uses uh, body wash and soap dispensers instead of hand soap. She usually uses Suave Essentials brand, but sometimes she uses other brands. I was wondering if doing this is safe considering that body wash isn't made for sanitizing or if it's okay because maybe body wash is just soap. Um, anyways, thank you guys so much. Abigail, this is a great question because I actually get this question all the time. So the good news is that in order for soap to be considered antibacterial, it just has to be a soap. There are no authorized additives to hand soap anymore that make it antibacterial like triclosan or triclocarban. So nothing added will kill the bacteria. It's just a soap being a soap. Actually, Valerie, that's kind of a recent development. The FDA just came out with uh, that a couple years ago, I think. Essentially, they did a study to show that washing your hands with soap removed every bit as much uh, of microbes as using an antibacterial. And so they required manufacturers to be able to prove that uh, the antibacterial worked better than soap, and nobody has been able to show that yet. They also were able to show that there was extended safety of those ingredients in use long term. So they said you can't use them. So people think the FDA doesn't regulate anything, but here they do. And I actually had a coworker the other day come up to me and say, hey, I think something's wrong with our hand soap. It doesn't say antibacterial on it. And I was like, actually, uh, no one can say that anymore about soap. So this question's coming in great timing. People still don't know. I think that was almost five years ago, Perry. Oh, yeah? Okay. It was either four or five years ago uh, that the FDA had that mandate come down. So uh, it's been a while and people still don't know. But the soap works just as well to remove bacteria as, quote, unquote, antibacterial soap because bacteria removal is actually a physical process. And in the hand-washing process, when you're moving your hands around and, and smearing the soap everywhere, it actually physically picks up the bacteria from the skin and then it rinses away, kind of like how dirt's removed from our hands if your hands are dirty. Right. And by washing your hands for 15 seconds, researchers at Harvard state that you can reduce bacteria content on the skin by 90%. That's about the time it takes for anyone to sing the song, Happy Birthday. Uh, and right. if you were to increase that time to 30 seconds, the bacteria content on the skin is reduced by about 99.9%, which is pretty amazing. So you should wash your hands for 30 seconds. Yeah. Unfortunately, most people wash for about five, if any. And even how you dry your hands is equally as important. It's important to get the water off as quickly as possible. But let's stick to talking about the matter at hand. Well, body wash is essentially like hand soap in terms of its formulation. It's water, surfactants, maybe a preservative, a chelating agent. And body wash might have an extra ingredient like a skin conditioning agent in it, but I know hand soaps also have those. So for the most part, body wash is similar in composition of the formula to hand soap. So Abigail, knowing that their compositions are similar and that hand soap is not antibacterial because it has a special additive in there. I hope this puts you at ease so that you can wash your hands with body wash and you should be fine. This just shows you the power of marketing and branding and things. And I, maybe I told this story before, but when I was uh, working on the VO5 line, we wanted to come out with a body wash. And essentially, we just took VO5 shampoo slapped the term body wash on it. I mean, we adjusted the surfactants a little bit, but they were the same ones, and we called it a body wash. So shampoo and body wash are very similar. 
essentially they all work the same shampoo works the same body wash i mean they're all surfactants that go in and pick up the dirt as far as the antibacterial goes like valerie said they just lift the bacteria away from your hands so you can certainly use a body wash for hand washing now i wouldn't totally recommend this to do with shampoo because there are so many different types of shampoos nowadays you can use a basic sulfated shampoo or sulfonated shampoo chassis, something that's clear, very detergent, and get away with using that as body wash or even hand soap. But some shampoos have so many conditioning agents in them, or they're a two-in-one that I don't know if that would feel good uh, to use on your body or as a hand soap. And this reminds me of when my brother, you know, was a single guy, bachelor, living a little economically, and I sent him a bunch of gallons of this really basic shampoo yeah. that I had made. Uh, I mean, extremely basic, the kind you get at the dollar store, very sure. cleansing. Sure. And I said, this is a two-for-one, meaning not a two-in-one where you can shampoo and condition your hair at the same time, but go ahead and just use it for everything, your head, your body, uh, your hands if you wanted to. Super versatile. And he, he couldn't believe it. And I was like, they're made of the same stuff. I like had to really convince him. So in the future, I had sent him a hand soap with a bunch of peppermint in it. It was a special product we had made. And I was like, let me send bro a bunch of hand soap. Sounds good. And so he extrapolated that to, well, if I can use it on my hands, I can use it on my body, uh -oh. my hair. And peppermint? it turns yeah. out if there's a lot of peppermint, you don't want to put it everywhere on your body right. because he called me <laughs> extremely enraged and he was like, I can't believe I should have never listened to you. And oh, I was like, no, but the, the first shampoo I sent you was fine. I can't put <laughs> anyway. So he doesn't trust me anymore. He thinks I'm some idiot. That's fine. I could be. I don't know. But it sounds like it was his mistake to me. <laughs> I agree. Looks like we have time for one more question. Ashley asks, in episode 172, you talked about the different variables that affect product price. I remember that. That was a, yeah, that was like a nice that. episode. What about brands that say they are made in small batches? The claim is that due to the small batches the products are made in, less preservatives are used, which means there are more active ingredients. Is it true, and are there clear advantages to making products in small batches? And she says, incidentally, I use the Glymed Plus line of products. Well, this is an interesting question, and I thought about it a bit, and I, I was trying to think, like, what are some of the benefits of small batching, and what's some of the disadvantages of it? And I, one of the things was the, the, the notion of using less pr preservation. On some level, you can use less preservation when it comes to making a small batch. Now, that, there's a big caveat here. That means if you're going to use the product right away. I mean, you're not going to store it at all. You're going to mix it up. Uh, you go to like one of these stores where you mix your own custom product. You mix it together, and then you use it right away. Uh, in that case, you would use you you could get away with using a little bit or even no preservation. But if you're going to keep the product uh, for any length of time, you're not going to use it the same day or the next day. 
then you need every bit as much preservative as a big batch. So you're not really using less. Yeah, I think it's important to hear when I read this question, I, I thought, okay, well, what do they mean by small batch? Because the fact that they're are less preservatives used. If I'm making one kilogram of something versus 50,000 kilograms of something, I'm using the same amount of preservation because preservatives are dictated at certain use levels in a formula. So if a preservative is 1% of a formula, it's 1% of one kilogram or 1% of 50,000 kilograms. It doesn't have an exception just because I'm, I'm making yeah, less. So in this case, small batch would be, I'm making it at home. I'm going to use it in a reasonable amount of time, which is Perry just defined as probably a day or two in your refrigerator to keep it cool and no less than that. But if there's really a large skincare brand saying, well, we make it in small batch and we use less preservatives, I, I'm really dubious about that claim. And it really paints preservatives in a bad light because you need preservatives in a product. So I'm going to climb off my soapbox now and, and let Perry continue to talk about some of the benefits. You're, you're absolutely right. The, the size of the batch does not dictate how much preservative there is. It's the use level, really. or I mean, when you're going to use it. Another, another advantage you might get over a small batch is you, you might be able to get better mixing when you have a big batch of something, if you're making 2,000 gallons, for example, it takes a long time for things to get thoroughly mixed. And sometimes you'll have a blob of uh, polymer powder sticking on the side of the tank that never actually gets in. And so you might not uh, get the, the exactly the batch you're making. So it's a little harder to get mixing. Now, if you work for a big company and they make batches all the time, they work out all of these problems. But I could see it on a, on a small scale, making it, you know, 100 grams or 200 grams or something. It might be easier to mix things together. And the other bit is it might be fresher. And I'm thinking of it, I, I think you and I approach this question in a different way, just uh, looking at it. Because I imagine the, the small batches are made and then used right away, not made... Uh, you know, and you're making 10,000 bottles and they're all small batches, you're making 10,000 batches or making one batch that makes 10,000 bottles. I just imagine these were the kinds of things that people were making, I don't know, in their kitchen or at a, a small store. Yeah, I, I went to the Glymed Plus website and saw that they have a lot of products. It looks to be like a big brand. And so I took it from the approach of, well, if it were a legitimate brand, Maybe they're making it more often because they're selling more and it's fresher, but I, I didn't take it as like the home, home homemade chemist or enthusiast. There are actually some negatives to small batching too. Um, it is harder to measure the exact levels of ingredients if you're making really small batches. So you're not gonna get you, you you're not gonna get a consistent batch every time just because you don't know exactly how much you've measured and put in. So it's really hard to duplicate from batch to batch. Large batches, you have a lot more error room, and so even if you misusing um, a, a raw material by a, a small percentage, it's really pr essentially the same formula. As we said, you still need preservation in these smaller batches, um, it, it's, especially if it's the case where you're doing a, a small batch and it's getting filled into a thousand jars. You still need preservation. The size of the batch has nothing to do with that. 
Um, and it could also have, be harder to have good quality control. Every new batch that you make, it, you know, it's going to have different specifications and or closeness to the specifications. And so the batch might not be the same from batch to batch. So it could be harder to quality control smaller batch runs. Yeah. And from the manufacturing side, Perry, it can be costlier to do small batches because you still have the same amount of labor involved as a big batch. You still have to have someone weigh all the ingredients. You still have to sanitize tanks. You still have to set up a filling line whether you're running 100 pieces or 50,000 pieces. So it can be more costly if you're looking at it from a production factory type view. Absolutely. And that cost gets added on to the consumer, passed on to consumers. So when they're doing smaller batches, it's less efficient and it costs consumers more without really any additional benefit. But it's a really nice story, like small batch beer, right? That sounds really yummy. It's something special. I could see how it looks like that for cosmetics as well. Yeah, and that's really why the company is doing that or it's why it's portraying that story because that is not that's certainly not something that big companies would do because big companies are all about selling as much as they can. Yeah, thanks so much for the interesting question, Ashley. All right, and thank you for listening. That music tells us it's time for us to go. If you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And actually, we should go through and uh, maybe read a couple of those on the air maybe next time. Oh, that'd be fun. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at The Beauty Brains, and we have a Facebook page. And The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. This is going to help the show keep going and avoid those annoying advertisements that I keep seeing from my own podcast listening shows. I love the shows, never like the commercials. Although I do like the app that I use. I use an app called Hootsuite. No, the app is called Overcast. And you can just fast forward those commercials. So I, we're hoping we'll never have to do that for our listeners. But if you want to stop us from doing that, uh, or you just appreciate what we're doing, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, <laughs> everyone.